I figured tonight would be a good time for a Purim topic, a Purim-related topic, or a Zechir Samalek-related topic. The problem with the Purim-related topics, as I mentioned last year, I think, is that I didn't get this year's Purim Shilas yet, because they haven't come up. The only Purim Shilas I got was someone emailed me about a month ago that his daughter uh, was eating, using the fangs that she was going to have for her Purim costume, and she was eating something milchig, and she really wants to wear those fangs again on Purim at the Fleshing Meal. <laughs> okay. Um, but then, I don't, think, I don't think I could spend 45 minutes discussing that Shaila. But uh, someone called me last night with a Purim Shaila, um, and I didn't even understand the Shaila. Someone from here, uh, maybe someone in the room, I don't even know, the person didn't identify himself, um, that, uh, that he wanted to buy a Megillah. And he was wanted to be makvid that the Megillah should be written on Gvil, but he needed an Ashkenazi Ksav because he's an Ashkenazi Jew, not a Sephardi Ksav. So what does he do? So uh, I'm like, what's Gvil? <laughs> 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 like, I wasn't really sure. Um, like I, I never heard the, the issue really before. Is the person who asked the child in the room? He's not. He's not but you know who it is? Oh, okay. So you can tell them, maybe we'll discuss the Shaila, depending on, depending on, uh, right, on what you choose. So we have that. Then there was a Shaila, I got someone, um, every year, Parsha Zacha time, there's always people who can't make it to Parsha Zacha for one reason or another. Usually it's a situation where there are women that can't make it to Parsha Zacha because they just had a baby or something, something of that nature, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's a halbutzar, it's not such a big deal. But, uh, but I have a case now of a, a man who just went through some very, very serious surgery and he's in a hospital. There's no chance he's going to be out before Parsha Zachar, so he's going to miss Parsha Zachar. Another man that's uh, very elderly and very uh, ill and can't really leave his house, certainly not in, in cold weather, uh, because if he catches a cold, it would be the end of him. So, uh, so what can we do for Parsha Zachar? He has a Sefer Torah in his house. Couldn't we send a minion to that? Well, what do you do? The guy in the hospital doesn't have a sifatar in the hospital. So what do you do about Parsha Zachar in that case? That is the second question. The third question wasn't really a shout I was asked. It was just something I, was, I thought about once, and um, I thought it was somewhat interesting. That one of the, the more riveting talks, riveting speeches I ever heard, you could actually hear online. If you go on, on YU Torah and you um, search the words uh, German convert, so, uh, so there's this guy who, um, who's a doctor in Boca Raton, Florida, who, who is a ger, and his father was a Nazi officer. Um, his story is amazing. His story, like, for a long time, no one knew that anything was special about him. Um, you know, as a, his story is basically that as a teenager, he discovered that his father was a Nazi officer. He didn't know beforehand. And he's like, oh my gosh, my father's a monster. So he ran away from home and he wanted to get to know Jews because he just wanted to see like, what they were like. And uh, ultimately, he, he, was, he was taken. He served in the IDF. You know, he, was ta- he was taken by, by the religion and he, and he converted and he you know, became a doctor and lives in Florida. And um, he never spoke about his parents. He never spoke about, it. and he was—he wasn't like uh, going around on the speaking circuit, you know, talking about this. And one day, his son was in school, and uh, and no, one day his son said to him, "How come you never talk about my grandparents? How come I don't even know who my grandparents are?" He's like, "Well, sit down, son. <laughs> you know, your grandfather was a Nazi, and he killed a lot of Jews, or whatever." So, um, so the the son was in school at some point after that. And the teacher said, you have to, there was an assignment to write an essay about your family. 
and about your family tree, you know, where you come from, what your grandparents, where your grandparents are from. So the, the father got a phone call from the teacher or from the principal, um, doctor, so-and-so, you have to come into school, your son did something terrible. So he said, he went to the school, what did, what did he do? Well, he made a whole mockery of this essay. We had an assignment to write family. He makes up this crazy story about his grandfather being a Nazi. And so he's like, well, actually. <laughs> um, and, and, and he said, you know, he, 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 it's the truth. Everything he said is the truth. So the principal's like, how are you not on the speaking circuit? How are you not? Out? He's like, I'm a doctor. What do you want from me? I work for a living. I don't have time to go around speaking. So he, he never really went, as far as I know, like you know, bouncing from shul to shul, speaking about his story. But the story is pretty, pretty remarkable. It's pretty, pretty amazing. I think he spoke in the English world with me a few years ago. He spoke uh, a couple of other places. But anyway, so it's, it's, it's interesting, relating to Amalek, I always grew up being told that uh, the Nazis are Amalek. So if the Nazis are Amalek, um, are we allowed to accept a convert from, uh, from Amalek? Are you allowed to accept such, such a gear? So those are our three questions. Not so Lemaisa, the last one, but it, it, it was Lemaisa right after the Holocaust. There were a lot of people that, want, that, that were going through guilt conversions, that people uh, felt very guilty about what their family was, their family's role, and what. So they, they were coming to Bate Din and saying that they wanted to convert, and they weren't sure. They seemed sincere, but do you accept someone from a Malik? Do you just say, you know what, no thanks, we don't really need you? Um, and it's. It's it's not, not not good for the Jews. So um, so those I guess are the three questions: the gvil and the ksav uh, svardis. So we could explain what gvil is because I immediately did my research. I did my research by looking in my favorite book about Stam, Inside Stam, by Rabbi Ruven Mendelowitz, who's a schmucky guy and a very very good uh, sofer who knows a lot about Safras. And he, if if you don't have this book and you ever plan on buying a mezuzah tefillin uh, Megillah. Anything Sefer Torah for sure. You need you need this book and you need to read it. It is uh, it's very easy to read and he explains all the inyanim so so clearly. And I'm not just saying that because he's a friend of mine. I, I bought the book before he became a friend. Of mine. He became a friend of mine because I loved this book so much. So uh, the uh, so I looked and I couldn't find anything about Gvil. So I emailed him and I asked him what's the story with this Hakpada with the Gvil. So he emailed me back. So um, so we have that Shaila. We have the missing Parsha Zacher Shaila and we have the accepting the German convert Shaila. Uh, I don't know if it's unfair to time or to read it, but. Concept of a gromagilla also is that related? Of a gromagilla, that's um, yeah. in, in, in the town like this was a recording. I don't like really understand like. Uh, like oh, you don't understand the the layout of what yeah. what it is. That's also he has a lot to say about oh, the gromagilla. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very very interesting about the gromagilla. You know what a gromagilla is? No. Neither did the gra. <laughs> that was me, right? That's one of the uh, the quirks of a gromagilla. You never, the, the gra didn't have a gromagilla, which is interesting. Um, how did we get the name Megillah? Okay, so uh, any uh, any preference? Should we do Megillah first? Do the Megillah? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Megillah, and then maybe in that context we'll discuss a little bit about Megillah as well. So the first thing to know is just how Klaf works of a, of of a Sefer Torah of anything that they write that they write Stam on. So what what are we writing on exactly? Meaning you know it's skin of an animal, right? But what part of the skin are we talking about? Is this the part of the skin that's near the flesh, that's on the inside of the animal, or is it the side of the skin that's, uh, that's on the closer to the avir ha'olam, that's on the outside of the, of the animal? So the, there are really three, three uh, terminologies that are important to uh, be somewhat acquainted with, and this is, uh, it's really spelled out beautifully in the Beis Yosef, 
in Simon Reishayin Aleph, but the Taz in Reishayin Aleph, Siv Gimel, says Gimel Shemos Yesh Pazed. There are three names of different elements of Klaf. There's Gvil, Klaf, and Duchsustus. So what's the difference between Gvil, Klaf, and Duchsustus? So it's like this. The animal itself has a very, very <coughs> thick layer of skin. When they skin the animal, it's, it's, you're left with this raw hide, and the hide of the cow is extremely thick, and it's multi-layered, the, the hide of the cow. Now, clearly, the, the, the thick layer, um, which is right beneath the, uh, you know, the well, let's say it like this, the, the outer layer, uh, right underneath the hair, if you were to pull out all the hairs, the layer that's that's out, outermost layer of skin is the the dermis. They call it, or the uh, or the epidermis rather. They call it the uh, the litza. And then underneath that, there's a thick layer beneath that that's full of veins and arteries and fat and like stuff like that. And that's the dermis, which is uh, underneath the epidermis. And then underneath that, there's a thick layer of smooth hide. That's what we're dealing with, right? You don't want to deal with the dermis or the epidermis because that's not something you could write on. So we're dealing with the thick layer of smooth hide underneath that. Now, in the old days, what they would do is they found a way to cut it along its width, to like split it into two. So if the thick layer of hide is like this, they would, they would like sort of peel it and, and make two out of it. So, and then when they, so if this is the outside of the animal and this is the inside of the animal, this is going to be great for the recording. If this is the outside of the animal and this is the inside of the animal, this is where the flesh of the animal is and this is where the hair and the dermis and epidermis were, once were, they would peel it like this and the inside over here, the, the bottom of the, of the outer layer that they would peel would be, would be the cloth and that's what they would always write on. Nowadays, we're not so good at splitting it. So instead of splitting it, they take a machine and they, and they, and they, um, and they scrape away the whole bottom part till it falls off and you're still left with the cloth. And they would st- you'd still write on the cloth. If, right, that's, that's called cloth. That's what we write on, that's called cloth. So it's the outer layer of this uh, thick, smooth skin, but the bottom side of the outer layer that we write on. Not the top side of the outer layer, the bottom side of the, uh, the outer layer. So that's where, um, that, that's where we, that's what we call clap, and that's what typically we write. And it turns out to be all the same as what they used to do when they would split the skin. It's the same exact spot that, you, that they used to write on when they split, this, when they split the skin. Um, all of that is working with the pashtus, with the pashtus understanding that the outer half of the hide is called the clap, the inner half of the hide is what Chazal referred to as duchsustus, which you don't write on. So the duchsustus we don't write on, but the Chai Adam thought the opposite. The Chai Adam in Klal Yudalid, in Nishmas Adam, Oz Gimel, uh, thought that the, uh, did not agree that the outer layer is the cloth and the inner layer is the duchsustus. Chai Adam thought that the out, only the outermost thin layer is cloth and only the smooth inner layer is uh, duchsustus. So the thick fatty middle layer um, isn't anything and is it becomes whatever it's, uh, it's attached to. So let's even leave aside the Chayadim for now. So essentially you have Klaf and you have and you have Duchsustus. So what is Gvil then? If this is Klaf and this is Duchsustus. So Gvil is if an animal, an animal hide 
that had ibud, so it was, uh, um, uh, meaning you, you took, take the raw animal that was skinned and you, uh, you, 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 you uh, sand it down, meaning you sand down the, the hair and the, uh, you know, the unusable part. So it had ibud, and, uh, but, but it was never split or sanded, meaning it was never split into two, and the bottom part was never, was never trimmed down. Was never uh, was was never uh, um, scraped away. So you're just left with a very thick kind of uh, of, of hide. That's called gvil. If the hide is split or sanded, so then you have the cloth and the duxustus. You write on the cloth. You don't write on the duxustus. Now, when you write on the cloth, you write on the inside of the hide. If you were to write on gvil, which you're allowed to write on gvil you would write on the outside of the hide. So if you're writing on gvil, on the, because the, remember, the gvil is that it was, never, it was never split or sanded. So if you were to try, write on the bottom side, you, you'd be writing on, the, on what would be the equivalent of duxustas. So if you're writing on gvil, you have to write on the outside, on the part that would have been facing the hair and the, you know, the dermis and the epidermis. So that's where you're going to write when you write on gvil. Now, uh, Rabbi Mendelitz told me that the Pashtus is when Moshe Rabbeinu wrote a Sefer Torah was on Gvil, and uh, Rabbeinu Hananel holds that that's uh, ideal, but it's been about a thousand years now where people pretty much don't write on Gvil. Um, and the Ramah writes in, uh, in Yaradeya, in Simon Reisha and Aleph, Shulchan Aruch, truth is, and this is why it's a Sephardi Ashkenazi thing, Shulchan Aruch writes, Kosin Sefer Torah la Gvil, that we do write a Sefer Torah on Gvil, V'hu ha'or shalo nechlak. And that is the, the, the or, the hide, that is not split. And when you write on gvil, you write on what, where the hair used to be, on the outer part of the, of the skin. But the Shulchan Aruch says, if you write on cloth, that's kasher also. That's okay too. Remember, that, that the cloth is where it was split, and you're writing on the inner side. But then comes along the Ramah and he says, "V'klapim shalanu heim yoser muvchar mikvil." Our cloth is better than gvil. V'kosvin aleim lechadchilo letzad baser. And lechadchilo we're supposed to write on the cloth. V'ein kosvin achshav alegvil. And we don't write on gvil at all. V'imshina v'kasav al klapim shalanu b'makom seyar pasul. If you write an hour cloth on the Makom Seyar, on the outside of it, that's going to be possible. But some are makel on uh, on that. Um, so that is the that is the Rama. So you see, the Shulchan Aruch seemed to say that Gvil is uh, is preferable. Really, it's based on the sugya in Shabbos Tafayin Test. In Shabbos Tafayin Test, the Gemara is a Torah to be Menashe that Kosval a klapi al Gvil val Duchsustus Kshera. And the Gemara talks, says that it's talking about a Sefer Torah. If you write on any of those three, it's kosher. And the Rambam writes in Ilchus Tefillin that it's halacha l'moshim Sinai that they would write Sefer Torah al Hagvil, even though uh, and even though that's halacha l'moshim Sinai, it's still kosher if you write on cloth. But the implication is that it's better to write on to write on Gvil. But nevertheless, the Darkei Moshe points out that that was probably working with the assumption that it was nicer, that Gavil produced a nicer, a nicer product in the end. But he says, it's just not the Metzius anymore. If you write on cloth, it's going to be the, our cloth somehow, the way we manufacture it, the way we make the cloth, it turns out to be much nicer. So Ben Mendelitz told me that, uh, he said, some Svardim, 
not all, some Sephardim, especially Temanim, still do write on Gavil. By Ashkenazim, it's, it's unheard of. No one writes on, uh, on Gavil by Ashkenazim. And he says, practically, it's much more difficult to write on Gavil. It's much more challenging to write on Gavil. And the Ksav comes out very lousy. It's like bumpy and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, doesn't make for a nice Ksav. And uh, he said, when you try to erase anything on it, Mamish looks terrible, looks, uh, looks horrendous when you try to erase something on it. So Gavil is, uh, for all those reasons, um, it it's, doesn't seem to be uh, you know, the common practice to write on Gavil. And in fact, he said that's why he didn't even put it in the Sefer. That's why I couldn't find in the Sefer any discussion of Gavil, because he said it's just not, it's not Shaykh. No, really, uh, no one really does it. So I asked him, what should I tell a guy who wants a Megillah on Gavil? He says, tell him not to want a Megillah on Gavil. Tell him that, uh, that that's a silly thing to want, that it's uh, better to want. If he's looking for Chumras, he has some suggestions of uh, Chumras that you can choose. He says, Hidurim and Alafa, like uh, maybe you should wash his fruits and vegetables, Negelvasser. Um, <laughs> he said, uh, maybe not eating supper until you have a Mariv or whatever. Okay, fine. Um, so, uh, so, uh, the the uh, whatever whatever the chumras you want to find you could find nice chumras but he doesn't think that this is a reasonable chumra for one to take for one to take so I asked the guy what, what's the thing with Gavil before even knowing what he was even talking about I just told him you know you should get Ashkenazi Ksav whatever you're doing you should, if you're an Ashkenazi Jew you should get Ashkenazi Ksav so uh, so he said um, that it's easier to hold the Megillah open I, I would imagine it's probably much thicker so it doesn't roll up on you as easily. Okay, so, you know, so, I don't know why. Why is it the end of the world? So the Megillah rolls up a little bit. Okay, so uh, I, I think it's, uh, it seems like a, a strange, a strange thing to be mocked about to, to Dafka one Kavil uh, for an Ashkenazi. If you're a Svari, if you understand it, if you have such a tradition, you're Temani or whatever, and you have such a tradition, then it, then it makes sense. Now that's in terms of in terms of the the Gavil question. Now, once we're on the topic of a Megillah, and you wanted to know about a, uh, about a Grah Megillah, you know, that I ha- I, Rabbi Mendelitz sent me a, a thing a while ago. Rav Shechter had mentioned that it, by the Aseris B'nai Haman, that if you, you know how it's spaced, it's written in the style of Shira. So Rav Shechter had mentioned in the Shira that if you don't have twice the amount of empty space as you do Ksav in the two sides by the Aseris B'nai Haman, then your Megillah is possible. Then you shouldn't use it. You shouldn't make a bracha in such a Megillah, shouldn't use it. And you weren't allowed them to use it in the base Medrash such a Megillah. And you cannot never see a Megillah like that that has so much empty space. So Rabbi Mendelitz heard that and he was very unhappy with this. And he got Rav Shechter to change his mind. He actually uh, he sent a whole, uh, a whole letter to him and it took a while, but he, he got him to, uh, to change his mind about that. But that's where the, the Grah Megillahs uh, come in. What's the, the story with, uh, with the Grah Megillah? So, in his Sefer, he writes, where is it? Um, yeah, first he discusses, yeah, so he says, uh, first he dis- the way he writes the whole book is it's a question-answer format. So he says, I'm in the market for Megillah Sester, and I'm told the most important thing is to get a Hamelech Megillah. So is that important to get a, what's a Hamelech Megillah? That every column starts off with Amalekh. It's hard to find a non-Amalekh Megillah. They, they all write it that way now. So he says it's actually the least important thing in, uh, in buying a Megillah is to get a Amalekh Megillah. Um, it is mentioned as a, as a minag, um, that each, the beginning of each column begins with Megillah. It starts being mentioned as a minag in about the middle, middle of the 19th century. 
So this is not like uh, something that goes back to the days of Mordechai and Esther, and there's no real strong source for it. The Sefer Kol Yaakov, the Sefer Tafri Sadiyalot, is the first place that has it, and he quotes it as a minog. So no one ever says that uh, you have to dafka have a melech megillah. However, in the next question he says, I see that a lot of Bnei Torah are careful to buy a Grah Megillah, which is only 11 lines. The whole Grah Megillah, meaning it's, it's, you roll it out long, but it's only 11 lines. You've seen these? Right? That the Megillah from top to bottom is only 11 lines. So uh, why did the Grah insist on a Grah Megillah? That's why he formulates the question. So he says, the Grah himself never insisted on an 11-line Megillah, nor did he ever own an 11-line Megillah. So what does it mean that it's a, that it's a Grah Megillah? So he says that the reason a lot of people want an 11-line Megillah is for, for the, navigating the issue of how to write the Aseris B'nai Haman. Because um, the issue with the Aseris B'nai Haman is that the Yerushalmi in uh, Megillah, in the third parak of Megillah, Allah Zion says that according to Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Bun, um, when you're writing the ten, the Aseris B'nai Haman, the word Ish has to be at the beginning of the page, and the word V'es has to be at the end of the page. That's what the Yerushalmi says. So the Masech Sofim says, Ish at the beginning of the page, S at the end of the page, on 11 lines, Aseres at the end of the page. So that's what it says, Aseres at the end of the page. So some, some people explain that the beginning and the end of the page must mean the bottom and the top of the page. So if you have Ish and you have Aseres and you have the Ten Sons of Haman in between, that means on, on, the, on the whole page you only have 11 lines. So even if the Megillah is like uh, much longer, as many, many more lines, uh, the Ten Sons of Haman can have to be written in their own, and probably every Megillah you've ever seen is like that. Probably every Megillah, right? Most Megillahs have, they have a separate, a separate column just for the Aseris Bnei Haman. And my Megillah is like that for sure. That's the way most Megillahs are written nowadays. Now the Grah didn't think that that was pshat. The Grah didn't think that that was correct. He thought beginning and end of the page means the beginning and end of the line of each line that you're writing. So the word ish needs to be at the beginning of the page on the right side, the beginning of the line. That's what it meant. Not all the way at the top of the page. On the right side. The word ves is at the end of the line. And the gra agrees that the word aseres should be at the bottom of the page, but the ish and the ves is just beginning of the line, end of the line. So there's no halacha that the word ish has to be at the top of the page according to the gra. So many others held ish at the top of the page, um, and 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 uh, Saras at the bottom of the page, but the Gra held no, just Ish at the beginning of the line. So what that means is, as long as the word Ish is at the beginning of the line, even if there are thirty lines above it of just straight regular reading, the last eleven lines of the page could be the Asaris Bnei Haman. And the Gra says that's the way Dafka Megillah should be written. Why? Because there are shitos that put the word ish at the top of the page and aseris at the bottom and have the aseris b'nei haman, the only way to do that if you have a longer begillah than 11 lines is to have the aseris b'nei haman enlarged in order to fill up uh, the whole page. So, for example, if you have 28 lines in a regular megillah from top to bottom, the letters would have to be more than double the normal size to get the aseris b'nei haman all fitting in one column. So in a 42-line Megillah, four times the normal size in order to all fit in one column. But we don't find anywhere that there's a Mesorah. You know, everything in a Sefer Torah, in a Megillah, it comes with a Mesorah. Why is there a little Aleph by Vayikra? There's a Mesorah of how to do things, of how to write things. There is no such Mesorah in a Megillah to have big Aseris Bnei Haman. Now, 
after the fact, people try to explain. Oh, it's because many people have a practice. How do they read Aseris Bnei Haman? What's the Allah? The Gemara Megillah says, Bineshim Achas, in one breath. So in many shuls, you know what they do? Right before, or right after the Chazan uh, says the Aseris Bnei Haman, everyone, the whole shul, says the Aseris Bnei Haman themselves. So uh, what, what's the reason for that practice? Okay, there's a reason for that practice. The, the logic for that practice is that you may be not Yotze with Shomea Ka'one by hearing the, the Balkore read all the Aseris Bnei Haman. Why would you not, not be Yotze with Shomea Ka'one? The simple explanation is he's reading it so fast because he's trying to get it in the you likely miss a word, so you want to read it yourself. The fancier explanations, they say, between the Beisalevi and the Ragachavar, that Shomea Ka'one only works on hearing the words, and the words that are being said, that when you hear the words, it's like you said the words. But it does not work to, on how to say the words, just on the fact that you said the words. So when I hear someone saying the ten sons of Haman in one breath, it's like I said the ten sons of Haman, but it's not like I said them in one breath. Because the fact that I heard the words, that's as if I said the words. But it doesn't work on how they were recited. That's what the Beis Halevi says with regard to the Beis Halevi Al-Torah. It's printed in Beis Halevi Al-Torah. He says by Birchus Kohanim that there's Allah, Birchus Kohanim has to be said Bekol Ram. It has to be said in a loud voice. So that's why Kohanim never... Why don't they take... You know, in, in, in many shuls, a bunch of Kohanim get up there, they're singing different Igunim. They're not even singing the same thing. They're turning different ways. Everything's... They're, they're just doing different things. One guy's going longer than the other guy. This one's doing Chazanos. This one's... A, you know, you know well, what in the world is going on up there? Why don't we take one guy who has a good voice, and have him do Birch's Kahnem, and everyone else will listen. And it'll be Yotzeh, Shomei Kona. So basically, he says, it's not going to work. Because when they listen, it's as if they're saying those words, Yivrach Hashem Yishmach, etc. But it's not as if they're saying it B'Kal Ram. There's a halacha that has to be said B'Kal Ram. Shomei is Keona. It's like you said those words, but not on how you said the words. Okay, so that so some suggest after the fact, oh, because there's a minute that the Tzibor says those words themselves, that's why we enlarge those words in the Megillah. So that, uh, you know, it's like bolded. So everyone will know that this is the, this is the important part. This is what you say, like in the back of the art school sitter on the, on the tennis Tzibor laning, it bolds the psukim that everyone says out loud. So this is the bolded in the Megillah that everyone should know that they're supposed to say this out loud. But that's, I mean, you know, that's, that's not true. I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's not why it's, it's enlarged. It's enlarged because you're trying to fit it according to this sheet that you're trying to fit it according to those who all not like the ground. That it's got to be at the beginning of the page and at the, and at the end of the page. So the Gra thought that the, the Aseris Mehaman should be written in the last 11 lines in a regular sized print. That you're going to write it in a big print. So the Gra didn't have an 11 line Megillah. The Gra probably had a 42 line Megillah or a 28 line Megillah and it was just a regular column and the last 11 lines were the Aseris Mehaman in regular size, regular size print. It's just we're for, or many are choshesh, for the other shitos that hold that the Aseris B'nei Haman have to be in their own column. So we just enlarge them to fit their own column. So what's a Gra Megillah nowadays? It's not a Megillah that the Gra actually had. It's a Megillah that tries to satisfy both shitos. How do you satisfy both shitos? You make sure that the Aseris B'nei Haman are the same size as, as, as the rest of the lettering in the Megillah, like the Gra holds. And you also make sure that the Aseris Bnei Haman are in their own column, like all the, everybody else holds. How do you pull off both of those tricks simultaneously? You make the entire Megillah only 11 columns. And then the Aseris Bnei Haman can be the same size as everything else, and can still be 
and can still be um, in their own column. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a machlokas a poskim, right? There are poskim that say dafka not to do it, that they don't like where that minna came from, they don't know, but that's the suggestion. They say b'shen and b'shalevi. It's not so poshim. Against the Gemara? What do you against the Gemara? No, no, no. Everyone holds it should be done b'nishimachas. The question is, does the tzibur say it out loud? So many shuls, they don't do it. It's not, not, not every shul does it. There's a show of hands. Do you remember? Not, not every shul. Yeah, so it's, I don't think it's a, it's, it's a universal practice by any means. Um, but, you know, yesh yesh on that. But, uh, yeah, it's, like, it's not for the, it's, I mean, it's only for Yeah, it's definitely, only, right? so it's it like, comes, comes much later. Yeah, if, if at all, it's much, much later. They suggest that maybe it's because we're worried that you didn't hear all the words of the, uh, yeah. of the Megillus. You wanna, which you understand that that could easily happen. Someone's reading so quickly. Likely, and especially uh, there's going to be a haman at the end. Some say that it's because they used to clap at the bnei haman also, and it's not just each. It's not just by the the, the name haman that they used to shake the gragrins and make noise. That by the aseris bnei haman they would they would clap. So then, of course, you're not going to hear anything. So then you have to read it yourself to to, to be yotze. So I think that's uh, yeah. How come the grud didn't have Because the grud held that you don't need to. He thought, have a, who, who makes an 11 line Megillah? Have a normal size Megillah. The Grath thought, as long as you just have the Aseris Benayam, the last 11 lines. And the word Aseris should be the last word in the, the column. But, it, but he didn't think there was any Gemara that said this way. He didn't think there was, uh, there was, was Yerushalmi. Was a Choshish by Yerushalmi? No, he thought Yerushalmi meant beginning uh, of yeah, the line, end of the line, not beginning of the column, end of the column. Now, the, the, in, in, in the next question in the book, he says, you know, he's that that sometimes you see a twenty-eight line Megillah, and in order to accommodate it, like we have the Asaris, the words of the Asaris Mayaman are very, the letters of the Asaris Mayaman are very large, but um, why don't we satisfy both shitos simply by spacing it? I Meaning, instead of enlarging the Asaris Mayaman, why not just leave like a couple of lines of space, just with nothing in between each line of the Asaris Mayaman? Wouldn't that solve both problems also, and it would satisfy? All shitos. So he says that the reason that can't be done is because leaving three blank lines between written lines is a sheer parsha. And uh, the Rambam and the Rush both hold that uh, by creating either a parsha, that leaving a line blank creates a parsha psucha or stuma. So uh, you're not supposed to have a parsha psucha or stuma in between the Asaris, in between the names of each of the B'nai Haman. So they say you should not leave too much space in between lines because we're always concerned about that. So that's why when you write a Megillah more than 11 lines, you, they, that's, that's why the Menachah developed that they expand it proportionally to make sure that it, that it fits the lines. He quotes in a footnote from Chuvus Ginas Vradim in the Kesses HaSofer and the Melech HaShemayim and many, many others that, that all say that to write large letters in, all, in order to fill in the, uh, the Amud and it seems that this is, uh, that this, this is the, the widespread practice. Yeah? What, what, is, what could be a problem with writing that large letter? I mean, it's just that we don't have a to do so. Normally when you enlarge a letter in the Torah, let's say, or you shrink a letter in the Torah, Right, the Aleph Zira, the Ayin, the Dal Beshma. You have you have large letters, and there's a Masora to do so. Everything in in Stam is you have to be very careful with the Masora. The uh, what's the Chaseros and the Yaseros? Even though the Gemara says we're not picking the Chaseros and Yaseros, but you have to write it. Can feed the Masora. Generally, I can write in whatever hand 
in writing I want, whatever it's that. By the way, the whole McGill in letters is called out would be fine. So that would be fine. Because again, the uh, if you write a whole sefer Torah in teeny little letters, it's fine. So why does it make it? So why, why do we have the little aleph? Because well, why, why does the aleph have to be smaller than everything better. else? This is all whole Meaning, you cannot do that in a sefer Torah. Let's say to just make some letters smaller than others. It's supposed to be. Right? I actually thought about um, I, when when Rav Shechter first had that psak with the spacing um, between the Haman, the the Haman and the Vases, so I, I thought about getting a, a, a new Megillah, um, but I didn't want to get like a whole brand new Megillah because maybe I could just cut out that section and get a new a new section where that was where that was fixed. But I realized it would look choppy. You know, it would start off with one ksav would be a different sofa. There's no way I would track down the sofa. I wrote my megillah. Also, just by the way, when you buy a megillah, just something to uh, to keep in mind. What? Check. The Check. The middle. The middle. Why do you say that? So from sorry, exactly. Meaning, when, when a sofer first learns Stam, he very often wants to write a Megillah. That's one of his first things. So they don't start at the beginning, because you can write a Megillah Shalok Hasidman. Why don't they start in the, in the beginning? Because they need practice till they get good. And when someone's buying a Megillah, they open up to the beginning. So they'll look at the beginning and see if it's nice. So the sofer will let you want to look at the middle and end of the Megillah and see if, uh, if that's decent, instead of looking at the beginning. What did they do before they grow there must have been a tradition, right? There must have been. It wasn't all in the line, so then what they do? That's a good question. That's a good question. It's like uh, Rashi and Rabbi Natan Tzvillin, right? How did that happen? And, right? How did it, what did they have? It must have been bigger. It's a good question. It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there were two Masoras of how to do it. If I just held one Masora is correct, that's what they say with Rashi and Rabbi Natan. Right, Rabbi Shemayim. Shemayim. Must have had tefillin. What? Yeah, right. And the, that's the um, yeah. That's where they, when they when they found the uh, excavations with uh, <laughs> Rabbi Tam's tefillin. So some said, "Oh, you see, Rabbi Tam's right." Others said, "No, that's where they put it in Geniza. That's where we're finding it in <laughs> excavations. They were they were puzzled. So yeah, you know, you don't you know, bring riots from this. I just, okay, but um, so that's. Um, so is there any downside of an eleven line? I mean, it sounds like it really solves the problem. Right, it would really it would be perfect. So if you does anyone here have a Megillah? You own a Megillah, yeah. So for the rest of you that don't own a Megillah, my parents, my father, when I became bar mitzvah, my father told me, um, if you learn how to lay Megillah, I'll buy you a Megillah. So I never learned how to lay Megillah, and when I turned 25, he bought me one anyway. It's my 25th birthday, um, so uh, so I have a Megillah. So is there any? It's not an 11 line Megillah. Is there any? Is there any downside to an 11 line Megillah? So, so Rabbi Rabbi Mendelwitz, I feel bad here. I'm just reading his book to you, but it's very, very good. But he he writes in the in the book that uh, hopefully some people will buy it now and he'll uh, he'll send me a thank you note or something. He already did give me a thank you because I lost the book and he sent me a new one for free, so that was nice. Then I found it and I gave it to the shul, whatever. Okay, he said there 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 definitely could be a downside to, to having an eleven line megillah. Um, in order to understand the downside, it's important to know a, a little bit of something about margins and how how much space you should leave in the margins when writing stam. The lower margin of a sefer Torah has to be four etzbaos. The upper margin three etzbaos, and that's about the width of your thumb. Um, and between columns should be two etzbaos. So the lower margin of a Torah is actually bigger than the upper margin 
of a Torah, which in turn is bigger than the space between columns. Sifri Nevi'im have margins of three, I suppose, at the bottom, two at the top, and one. So everything goes down a number. Three at the bottom, two at the top, and one in between. Megillus Esther, there are different shitos. Most say that the margins should be like the margins of a Sefer Torah. Others say, no, just like the margins of Sifrei Nevi'im. Now, um, the, the, the etzbo'us that we're using um, by a Sefer Torah, we're talking about the width of a thumb. That's an, that's an etzba. By Sifrei Nevi'im, it's a machlokas. Some say that by Sifrei Nevi'im, it's the width of a thumb, while others say the width of a normal-sized finger, like an index finger, a ring finger, something like that. So it obviously would be much smaller. Now, there are three opinions how big a finger is. Chaznish, you know, had, must have had stubby hand. No, I'm joking. Chaznish's shita is the largest size. He had a larger shiurim. And that is that 2.4 centimeters for a thumb, 1.9 centimeters for a regular finger. Ramesha, 2.25 centimeters for a thumb, 1.8 for a regular finger. Krachnoe, 2 centimeters for a thumb, 1.5 centimeters for a regular finger. Okay, we're almost there. So that means... When you're making the margins of a Megillus Esther, you could, you could theoretically combine three different kulas. You can make the, the margin at the bottom three etzbaos, at top two, and in between one, and that would conform with Sifrei Nevi'im. That's what people normally do with Sifrei Nevi'im. Another kula is you can measure those etzbaos, not with your thumb, but with your pointer. So one kula you could take is treat it like Sifrei Nevi'im, not like Sefer Torah. Then you can add a second kula, don't measure with thumb, measure with, with the pointer. And then third, you can, you can use this, the grachna shear. Right? So you could end up with very tiny margins. If you were to do that, you would have a margin of four and a half centimeters at the bottom and three centimeters on the top. Right? So theoretically, it might be kosher to have margins of four and a half centimeters at the bottom and three centimeters at the top. There is another halacha, that the height of the written area has to be greater than the height of the upper and lower margin combined. Meaning, from top to bottom of the cloth, most of it has to be taken up with writing. You can't have most of it be empty space. So, if the bottom margin is four and a half centimeters, and the top is three centimeters, the total margin is seven and a half centimeters. The written area has to be bigger than the margin. So the sofer would have to create a writing area of at least 7.6 centimeters, and the total height of the megillah would be 15.1 centimeters, which would then have to be the smallest size for megillah's ester. Now, most of the 11-line megillahs are actually 15 centimeters in height, um, but the way the division of the written area and the margin is not always like this. Instead of 7.6 centimeters of written area, which would be necessary... And that would be the standard, the standard font. That should be what, what's what's necessary. Um, uh, I'm sorry. He said instead of having a written area of 7.6 centimeters, which would necessitate using a print size smaller than standard, the standard font size is used. People use a regular font, a regular regular print size when they write the letters, and that reduces the space of the margins. So meaning they use the right size cloth to be able to produce a good Megillah of 11 lines but they end up making a bad Megillah of 11 lines because they, they aren't makbid for the size of the, uh, of the, the margins. Yeah, we can be and say that, that, that is bigger for you to have 
Meaning, let's say, so again, the, the smallest shear that you could possibly have of the size of the margins would be, right, a margin of four and a half centimeters on the bottom and three centimeters on the top, right? That would be the, uh, the smallest shear. Because if you hold grach and you hold that you're doing nevi'im, the, the shear of nevi'im, so then it would be, uh, and you're holding to use not the thumb, so it's three, on the, three non-thumbs on the bottom, and that's four and a half, and two non-thumbs on the, the top, which is three on the top. That's the smallest, the smallest size of margins you're allowed to have. So if you're using a 15-centimeter cloth, then you, you need to uh, make sure that you don't get the margins any smaller than that. If you're getting the margins any smaller than that, then it's against halacha. So he sums it up like this. He says, The heder of having the Aseris Haman, Haman, written in a fashion acceptable to halachronim, is included... But the halacha of chazal about the margin size is ignored. And that's a, that's a problem. That's not prioritizing. It's a good example of how every chumrah, you have to be careful how you, if a chumrah is causing a kula somewhere else. He said, you know, klaf machers can customize the size and the margins of any megillah if you ask, but you, you have to know to ask. So it's possible you can do it. But you have to know to ask. So sometimes people just hear like uh, key words, and then oh, I need a melech megillah, I need a grum megillah, I need a. But they don't know what they're talking about. And if you're not familiar with all of the issues, then you can really end up compromising in other uh, areas of halacha. So those who have a megillah, I'm sure are going to go home tonight and uh, look at your megillah and see see what you got over there. Um, but uh, okay, so I guess we didn't get to the other questions, but that's that's a little bit about buying a megillah. What are the 